Welcome to the Equine Connection Podcast, where health, nutrition, and love for the horse come together. This podcast is brought to you by Tribute Superior Equine Nutrition. I'm Dr. Chris Mortensen. And I'm Dr. Nicole Rambo. Happy spring, Nicole. How are you doing? I'm doing well. I'm enjoying the warmer weather and some sunshine, which is amazing. So no more snow. It's gone. Well, it's mostly yeah. melted, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> and I'm sure mud's right around the corner, but I'll take a couple days of nice weather in the meantime. Right, right. I mean, springtime, just uh, it's, it's amazing time of year. Everything starts to green up again, and I know everybody's excited to, to be able to get back outside. Today, we're just kind of a broad, general digestive health in the horse. So, you know, I think we're going to kind of drill down into some issues with, with horses and obviously digestion and digestive health. I think a great place to start, Nicole, is just kind of talking general anatomy. You know, can we just kind of briefly talk about the horse's digestive system? Because it is so unique for a herbivore. Yes. And it's it's amazing. You have these big, powerful, majestic creatures with this really delicate digestive tract. There's a lot of things, unfortunately, that can go wrong. And I think a big part of that just comes down to the fact that we manage and feed them in a way that's just very different from how their digestive physiology evolved. So the big picture things would be horses have this tiny, tiny stomach relative to their body size because they're meant to be grazing like almost 20 hours a day, usually in the wild. And so they're supposed to be trickle feeders and food only stays in the stomach roughly 20 minutes. The majority of it is going to pass right through. Now, obviously it takes a lot longer for them to, for their stomach to completely empty. Um, but the majority of that digesta passes through really quickly. And then, you know, you have the small intestine and the role of the small intestine is to break down and absorb a lot of the nutrients that the horse needs. So your amino acids, your trace minerals, your vitamins, a lot of that's absorbed in the small intestine and passage through that's pretty quick as well. But then horses have this giant fermenter in their hindgut. So their large colon and cecum are developed to deal with all that forage that they're supposed to be consistently grazing on. So feed stays there for quite a while because it's meant to break down forage into primarily energy for the horse. So, you know, it's backwards of what a cow would be. It's very different from what a human's digestive tract would look like, but there's some very unique things to managing a healthy digestive system for the horse because you have that very unique setup. No, that, I mean, that, that, that's a good quick explanation of the digestive tract in the horse. And obviously, you know, we, we, we always talk the same thing in all these podcasts and, and kind of remind owners of how special horses are. So I guess a good question to start out with for a nutritionist, you know, as, as a nutritionist, what does a healthy digestive tract mean to you? Ooh, that's an interesting question. So I think if I take the big picture, you know, 100,000 feet, look mm -hmm. at this. I really think about two things. One, how can I simulate a feeding system that's very close to what horses would have in nature, which is a lot of access to forage, and then recognize we bred them to not look like wild horses. They have some additional nutritional needs. So I think about that. And then also recognizing, you know, even though there's such a strong nutrition component to this, that the digestive health a lot of times is representative of the overall health 
both from a physical and a mental standpoint in the horse. So it's super easy to get very caught up in the nutritional aspect of this. And I think the fact that digestive supplements are like one of the number one categories for supplement sales really speaks to this. But to think that even though my focus is nutrition, a lot of times I have to zoom out when I'm troubleshooting and look at the bigger picture, which is, are we managing horses in a way that's going to promote digestive health? Are there other health issues that are just showing themselves as digestive health issues. Um, A great example, I was chatting with a trainer just the other day about a horse and she said, yeah, once we got his stomach ulcers under control, he went from eating all this feed and never looking great to just eating essential K and he's fat and shiny and fantastic. And that's very much, you know, representative of the issue of a lot of horses is that outside issues sometimes show up in the digestive tract. So from a nutritionist standpoint, there's lots we can do to help support the horse, but also recognize it's the whole picture. And, you know, we're never going to be able to supplement our way out of a bigger health problem or a simple management system that just doesn't work for a horse. Right, right, right. So, you know, we want to ensure these horses have a healthy digestive tract. So if, if I'm an owner, what are some of the signs that I should be looking for to ensure that horse has a healthy digestive tract? Because obviously we can't ask them. So we, we have to look for certain things. I think one thing that's really helpful is knowing what is normal for your horse. So what is their normal manure output, both in amount and consistency and recognizing, wow, that looks quite a bit different than it did before and think, Is there an obvious reason for this change or is this out of the blue? Same thing with water intake. Also even observing, you know, their eating habits in general. So I think you can get some really good clues that if normally when you bring your horse into the stall and he dives into his hay net and he doesn't, there's a good hint there that something is going on. Now, that may not be digestive related, or it may be in that symptom is showing up and him changing his eating habits. But I think the biggest thing is understanding what's normal for my horse, because even within manure, you know, there are a range of consistencies that are acceptable. But if your horse is always on the firm side of acceptable, and all of a sudden he's on the loose side of acceptable, that's a good hint that there's a little bit of something going on. So as an owner, just being very attuned to what's normal for my horse, looking for changes, I think that's the best thing you can do to monitor digestive health as a whole. And then also keep track of changes in body condition, changes in coat, you know, some of those things that might be indicators that there's something going on that we need to look a little bit deeper into before they become big problems. No, and and, and those are such subtle, slow changes. So, you know, I was sitting there thinking of, of when you were saying that, like maybe an owner, everybody has cell phones these days, take a picture of your horse every few weeks and just, just compare them. You know, and maybe that gives you an idea to see those subtle changes, because sometimes when they lose condition or put on too much condition, it, it, it's slowly over time. Right. So. Maybe, Absolutely. You know, now yeah. you should see the camera roll on my phone. I, know. I, yeah. I do this. Um, yeah. So, yeah, no, that that's a great suggestion that you can track over time. And then when you do see a change, it's it's not necessarily like a freak out immediately, but it's Mm-mm. some logical thinking. So, for example, when horses start going out on pasture, there's a lot more water intake in grass than there is in fresh hay. And a lot of times they'll get loose for a couple of days when that first happens. Now, if they get, you know, diarrhea, that's an issue. But if they're a little looser than normal, you'd say, oh, 
That's totally explainable by this recent change that happened. But if there have been zero changes over the last couple months and you see that, you might be clued in a little bit more to monitor for other changes. That's great. That's great advice. Great advice. So what are some issues that we see with an unhealthy digestive tract? Now, I know there's a lot of them and we're probably going to do more podcasts. I know one of our follow-up podcasts talking about colic is is one of the things that, that you can look for. But briefly, what are some of those issues that owners may be faced with when their horse's tummy or digestive tract is not doing well? <laughs> well, we can definitely yeah. talk about the stomach first. I think yes, that's yes. a really hot topic, which would be ulcers. And within the stomach, you have the glandular and the non-glandular portions of the stomach. The glandular portion is coated by mucosa, so it's more protected from that acid in the stomach. The upper part of the stomach doesn't have that extra mucosal protection. So a lot of times ulcers are very common along the area where you transition from the glandular to the non-glandular part of the stomach, just from acid splashing up. There are also issues with ulcers that can occur in the glandular part of the stomach, like down by the pyloric sphincter. So, you know, it's a big topic and multiple things can go wrong and the treatment for all of those are not the same. So ulcers super prevalent in horses, um, that would be a big one. And that can be anything from not enough access to forage, too much high sugar and starch type feed in the diet to things like stress or some other issue, again, going back to my original example, which was this horse had other things wrong with it that made its stomach not happy, that then showed itself in its overall demeanor, feed efficiency, and all of those things. But yep, ulcers would be a super common problem that can happen specifically in the stomach. No, it is. Ulcers is a big topic. And I, and I think, you know, we should maybe do a podcast on them in the future uh, here soon. Now, something like, we're, we're going to follow up with this, but briefly, colic. This is a huge one. It, you know, every owner is usually faced with this at some point, owning horses. Can you just briefly try to fit it in? You know, uh, call, what is colic and, and how does how does that manifest itself? Yeah, that's a big one. So colic, you know, is the most common reason for veterinary emergency treatment. Um, it's a leading cause of death in horses that is not old age. So like if you take old age off the table, that would be a leading cause of death. It's a very nebulous turn because colic just means digestive abdominal pain. So that really could be coming from anywhere in the digestive tract. In fact, there are definitely horses who have ulcers who might show symptoms of colic, and it's because of ulcers in the stomach that they're showing those symptoms. But there are so many different things that can go wrong in this very delicate digestive tract as the horse, all of them which can show as colic. So I think maybe let's just do a whole nother podcast talking about the specific ones. I think the big picture thing to take from this is that a lot of times, Unless it's a surgical case, you don't actually know what the cause of colic was. There are multiple reasons that horses might colic because there's all these different ways that it can go wrong. And I know something that actually it was at the Equine Science Symposium a couple of years ago. There was a speaker who was talking about, you know, what they learned. It was a surgical center through their colic cases. And the biggest takeaway for me as a horse owner, not a scientist, from that is that the degree of pain that a horse was showing 
did not correspond to the degree of severity or type of colic. So I just think if, you know, your horse colics, you get the vet on the phone, you get them in the loop, and it's a probably a pretty common mistake to think, oh, he's not in that much pain, it's probably not severe, when research says exactly the opposite, that there's really no correlation between degree of pain and the severity of the problem. So unfortunately, again, these big delicate creatures where so many things can go wrong. It's, but they survive in the wild just fine. They generally do, you know, but. Well, I don't know. What is the rate of attrition in the wild? Um, actually, yeah. but make sure to ask me that when we're talking about strategies to support digestive health, because I have, I have a thing that relates to the wild that I'm going to okay. remember to talk about. All right. All right. All right. Yeah. Colic is, is, is a huge one. So we're definitely going to follow up uh, on that topic, but something like, you know, another thing that, that we've been addressing lately hindgut acidosis. That's like a scary term thought, you know, kind of what is it and and, and how does that manifest itself in the horse? Okay. That's a really interesting question. So the hindgut of the horse, it's basically this giant fermentation vat. And if you are familiar with like making beer or wine or anything like that, pH is super important to the fermentation process. And there has been a ton of research in cattle looking at acidosis in the rumen. So remember, the cecum of the horse is just the rumen of the cow just flipped at the opposite end of the digestive tract. And it's super defined in cattle. They have very set pH levels. You have subacute ruminal acidosis. You have acute ruminal acidosis. It's based on very specific pHs and number of hours spent below those pHs. And there's really defined disease process that's very well understood in cattle. We know something similar can happen in the horse. We definitely don't understand it nearly to the extent that they understand it in cattle. And so I think it's really interesting because I actually, you know, I've looked at the literature and it's never been defined in the same way that it has been in cattle. And the disease process probably looks a little bit different in horses as well. So in a true acidosis event. You're really looking at large amounts of sugar and starch being super rapidly fermented in the hindgut of the horse, which drives the pH down. And as you drive the pH down, there's a shift in the microbes that live in the hindgut. And you actually have an explosion of the ones that make more products that drive the pH down even further. And, you know, the really extreme example of this is the horse who breaks in the grain room eats a whole bag of sweet feed, you have this massive slug of starch that gets to the hindgut, pH goes really low, and then essentially you have the release of all these endotoxins that cross the barrier of the hindgut, and we have a laminitic event. And we actually, kind of interesting, talked about Mm -hmm. kind of this whole process as it relates to pasture. That would be relatively rare. Now, it is possible if you're feeding a high sugar starch diet, especially in really big quantities, which is why we had that whole podcast on feeding smaller meals often, it is possible that you're having sugar and starch get to the hindgut more depressing the pH, but not to the significant amount where it is having a negative impact, but it's not creating like this whole toxic shock to the system. And that would be your subacute acidosis. And it's going to decrease fiber digestibility. The bugs that digest fiber, they like a higher pH and it's a pretty narrow range. 
And if it goes on long enough, presumably, okay, we don't know this for sure, but if we, you know, go back to our nutrition classes where we learned about cattle and all of those things too, like as fundamental nutrition, there would be some hyperkeratosis of the lining of the hindgut. So really damage to that lining. I think true hindgut ulcers are relatively rare. It's, it's a pretty severe disease process. Um, it's actually diagnosed by ultrasound. So like a right dorsal colitis, and that's more the impact of a lot of NSAIDs. Usually it's not a dietary disease process, but there are certainly things that go wrong in the hindgut related to pH. I think if we talk about it as the specific disease process, but we don't understand it well enough to really define it. So I think there's, you know, strategies and products that are addressing something that we really can't even adequately measure in the live horse that's not cannulated. Well, that's a great segue. So what are some of those strategies or any feeding management tips you can give to owners? You know, it, it, and this follows up on some of the podcasts we've done and we will do in the future, but what are some of the ones briefly that you can tell owners, okay, here's some of the basic essentials to ensure you can main, to give you the best shot at maintaining a healthy digestive tract in their horses. Yeah, absolutely. And then even with that specific hindgut focus, the big one would be lots of forage, right? You need good quality forage for that hindgut to be healthy. So it's about quantity and quality. So I always talk about, you know, there's this minimum amount of forage that we need to feed one and a half percent of the horse's body weight on a dry matter basis, but it's about what the horse eats. So I've seen lots of horses who, let's say the goal is you have to feed them 16 pounds a day relative to their weight for their minimum fiber requirement. And they actually leave a couple pounds of stemmy stuff behind. So they're not eating that you definitely see low-grade digestive upset, whether that's acidosis or just kind of a general imbalance in that microbial population that lives in the hindgut. Totally up for debate. We can't easily measure it. You can go ahead and pH your manure, but there's further fermentation that's always occurring. So that's not the best way to actually figure out what the pH is in the hindgut. And I haven't seen a scientific study that's done a good job of linking. If you pH using this method at this point point after defecation, it equals this pH in the hindgut. Um, But lots of forage, good quality forage. If they don't eat enough forage, relying on those high fiber products that bring in quality fiber. So remember, we definitely want to avoid things like rice hulls or oat hulls that increase crude fiber, not all that digestible to the horse. Um, and then, you know, the small concentrate meals. So we want to have a forage based diet. We're going to avoid sugar and starch, especially in large quantities. So relying on those higher fiber, higher fat products for horses that do need additional calories beyond what's provided in their forage. And then keeping meal sizes smaller, because you have to remember your food is constantly moving through the digestive tract. Well, if it's constantly moving, but we feed smaller meals, there's a much bigger likelihood it's all going to be broken down in the small intestine, which is what we want to happen with our concentrates. Yeah. And I would just always add, make sure you deworm your horse regularly, you know, and, and yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that, that's a whole thing. Right. So, you know, the science behind deworming, it's, it's moved tremendously And, you know, the old rotational deworming programs, we've realized that's not effective anymore. It probably wasn't effective then either. Yeah, yeah, Um, yeah. But much more targeted deworming. So working with your vet to do a fecal egg count, 
targeted deworming based on where you live, the type of parasites parasites in your area, what loads are detected in your fecal egg count, because that's a really common thing. Like I'll be talking through a trouble shooting horse and they'll be like, oh, he has deworm recently. I said, well, did you do a fecal egg count? Was that at your vet's direction? It's a little bit honestly tricky to ask these questions. Um, or did you just like go pick up whatever was at the right, farm right. shelf? Like yeah, yeah. deworming is not deworming. Um, right. And there are a lot of digestive issues that are a function of parasite load. And you could be deworming your horse once a month with the wrong product and never kill that parasite. Um, there's, you know, a pretty significant number of colics are related to tapeworms. A lot of your dewormers don't actually address tapes. Yeah, that's a, again another podcast. We have so many topics, but I, I think we'll wrap that up today because it is it is such a huge topic. But it's good to have an overview, and then it starts linking to some of the other podcasts that we've done and we'll do in the future. So you know, hopefully, you enjoyed this episode. If you are enjoying this podcast, we always ask if you can share this with your fellow equine enthusiasts. You know, Nicole and I both are just so enthusiastic. We're both teachers and we want to get this information out to as many people as possible to help horses, you know, thrive and and do amazing. So, you know, if you can do that and then if you don't mind dropping us a five-star review on iTunes, that helps our circulation. Believe it or not, iTunes drives a lot of podcasts. So that's why we always ask for that specific one. But thank you so much for listening and stay tuned. We've got more to come. Thanks, Chris.